welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. This is an absolutely potent passage of Scripture and a crucial one in the New Testament. Because the Apostle Paul here reaches all the way back to the beginning of human history and to the very beginning of Israel's history, as both are recorded in the book of Genesis. And he explains in these few verses how Jesus' life and death and resurrection tear down the walls that sin builds up between individuals and God and between individuals and other individuals. Paul announces here that for all people, Jesus is our peace. And remember who his audience was, non-Jews, Gentiles, the uncircumcised, he says, were at one point separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise. In other words, they were not part of the people of God. They were not part of the inner circle. They were outsiders looking in. And Paul says they were without hope and without God, but now through Jesus, those who were once far away have been brought near by his sacrificial death. So now the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, have been remade into one group. Jesus, in Paul's powerful words, destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. I mean, that's pretty good news. That's powerful stuff. No more us versus them. No more we're in and you're out. No more we've got the spirit, yes we do, We've got the Spirit, but not so much you. See, at the beginning of the book of Genesis, God creates the world and everything in it. You remember it, I'm sure. He then creates man and he creates woman. And there is peace. There is this thing called shalom and it permeates all of creation. Humans and animals and nature all work together and coexist exactly the way God intended And there is flourishing, this word again, shalom, for all. But then sin crashes the party, and with sin comes separation, division, walls, hostility. All those words Paul is mentioning here in Ephesians 2. With sin, the one becomes two. With sin, unity becomes division. With sin, togetherness becomes separateness. Walls go up. Hiding becomes instinctual. And shalom shatters into a million different pieces. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul goes on to tell his reader that through the work of Christ, the two have once again become one. God's purpose, Paul says in Ephesians 2, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them, Jews and Gentiles, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The thing that kept them separate was dealt with at the cross to enable them now to come together. What's all this mean? And what on earth? 
does it have to do with fasting from the virtual? Let's call it creation 2.0. Through Christ, the two once again become one. The separation, division, walls, hostility are obliterated through the incarnation, instruction, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of King Jesus. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, the Gentiles, and to those who were near, the Jews. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You see, this passage pulsates with the power of the gospel to reconcile people to God and people to people. It pulsates with the power of the two becoming one. It pulsates with walls of any kind falling down and hostility of any sort giving way to peace. This passage pulsates then with Jesus pulling people together and all of this happens through the work and ongoing ministry of King Jesus. So this passage reinforces the centrality of the incarnation in the Christian experience. And now we start to get to fasting from the virtual. This passage reinforces the centrality of the incarnation in the Christian experience. Flesh on flesh, relationship, the body of Christ. Jesus bringing people together who otherwise would not come together and would have all sorts of justifications for not coming together. This passage is about Jesus knocking down the walls that separate us from them. It's about people who have nothing in common and all sorts of reasons to be angry with and dismissive of each other coming together, being together, forming quite literally a new humanity in the language of Paul, a new body. The fancy word incarnation then is the theological muscle behind the call to fast from the virtual. God put on flesh and came to us and made his home among us. Paul's words here in Ephesians 2. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and to those who were near. So Jesus did not hide behind his divine perfection or his rightful place in heaven. He stepped away from there and he came to us and he dwelt among us. So one implication if you'll permit me, we should not hide behind screens. We should practice the discipline of occasionally closing the lid of our computer and putting down our phone to actually be with others in our lives and in our church. People like Michael Frost, who study this kind of thing, emphasize that we live in a time of defleshing. Think about that concept. We live in a time, he says, of excarnate living instead of incarnate. Out of the flesh instead of in the flesh. In our heads instead of in our bodies. Separate from people instead of connected to them. Away from others instead of engaged with them. COVID encouraged excarnation. D. 
detached and online and virtual engagement instead of incarnate community. Real relationship. COVID forced defleshing for health reasons. But this is not the way of the kingdom. The church is the people of God gathered together. Flesh on flesh. The church is an eclectic group of Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, male and female, young and old, ethnically, economically, generationally, politically different. The church is those who think and vote and look different, but they are pulled together by the power of King Jesus, so the many become one in him. And yet, one of the lingering effects of COVID protocols might be, for some of us, this idea of having an extended stay in camp virtual instead of moving back into camp actual. Now, I realize right about now, some of you are experiencing what's known as a rise in your blood pressure. You don't like what I'm saying. There may be some people who are watching through a screen, and again, I apologize profusely, who don't like what I'm saying. You may be getting mad at me at this moment. You're not the first to get mad at me. I get mad at me all the time, so it's okay. And again, I apologize. And I want to confess something to you on this topic. I said this earlier. This is not all coming from a good place in me. I quit Facebook and Twitter a number of years ago because I didn't like what rumbled up inside of me when I would engage in those venues. That might sound silly to you. Probably is. Might sound holy to you. I assure you, it isn't. I just didn't like what it did to my soul. And ever since, I admit I've been a cranky old cuss when it comes to online and virtual interactions. I own it, so take what I say today with an extra large salt shaker. What I'm saying is probably not worth the paper it's printed on. I'm super jaded in this. I've got tons of opinions, and many of them come from broken places. But when I read smart people who are raising these red flags, it gets my attention. When I read the Bible, what we just read, and I see how infleshed life with God and others is intended to be, it gets my attention. And I believe the virtual has severe limitations, and I believe it is far riskier and more damaging over the long haul than we may realize. So, this really matters. I probably won't say it in the right way or in the right tone, but I believe this really matters. COVID meant Zoom meetings. COVID meant watching streamed Sunday gatherings. COVID meant Zoom small group gatherings. COVID meant quarantine. COVID meant listening to this or that podcast from this or that person we do not know and never will know. COVID meant more texting and Twittering and Facebooking and Instagramming as a means of connecting. COVID meant screens. And I realize virtual connection was here before COVID, and it's here to stay. And it certainly has its place. It can most certainly be a wonderful tool that allows shut-ins the opportunity 
to connect and participate in relationships that they otherwise would be isolated from. In addition, virtual connection is a wonderful way to stay connected and in touch with family and friends who live in other parts of the world. Virtual is good when it stays in its lane. But virtual means virtual. And this is not my making, but I like it. At least for our purposes today, think of virtual as close, but not quite. Or almost, but not actually. So virtual reality is almost reality. It's close to reality, but it's not quite reality. So the virtual has limits, especially in the realm of being Jesus' people and living out our faith. Using the language of Paul in our scripture reading, screens can be a modern-day wall, a dividing wall, a dividing wall of hostility. Screens can convert non-shut-ins into shut-ins because it is safer and easier and more comfortable for some people to relate to the world from behind a screen than to relate to the world from across a table. Screens, then, can be a way to hide, a way to avoid the messiness of real relationship. Real relationship, especially with those who are different than we are, which is at the heart of what it means to be the church, where people who are different, Jews, Gentiles, are what? Being made one. Through what? The power of Jesus, who made the two one. Screens allow us to interact with faceless stereotypes instead of with real people who have real faces. See, a Facebook post about, oh, those pagan Gentiles, or some modern version thereof, is a lot easier than a cup of coffee across a table with one of those pagan Gentiles. Screens foster, then, a pseudo-connection without the vulnerability required of incarnational presence. Posting is easier than showing up in person. Liking, click, is easier than face-to-face giving somebody encouragement. And let's just face it, for all the good it may do, the virtual is often a coliseum where hostility and division fuel all sorts of us-versus-them narratives. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is this. For the Christ follower in 2022, the virtual is thoroughly a spiritual issue, a heart issue, a mind issue, a body issue, which means it is critical for us to discern how to navigate the virtual as a Christ follower whose first desire is to seek the kingdom. And I get it. Virtual is the way the world is now. I get it. Mike, you sound old. You sound like you have white hair. You sound like you're living back in 1974. I get it. I accept it all. I own it all. It's right. Those are good critiques. But how do we discern the way of Jesus in light of this virtual world? 
Virtual connection will never replace real connection. We can put one of those things on, and I can sit in a room with you, though I can be at my house in Folsom, and you can be on vacation in Kenny Bunkport, Maine. And we can sit there going, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Yeah, well, how is it in Maine? It's great. Virtual connection will never replace if we were sitting in the same room together across the table. Virtual engagement will never replace face-to-face engagement. I text my children all the time. They're all grown up. I text them all the time. But this afternoon, my son is going to come over, and he and I are going to hang out. We're going to spend time together, and no amount of texting or calling or any other virtual form of connection compares to being together with my son face-to-face eating grilled meat. I have three friends who live in Wisconsin. I've known one of them since I was 10, one of, them, one of them since I was 12, and one of them since I was 15. We text each other all the time. When I leave here this morning, there will be a text from one or several of them. We aggressively debate religion, politics, and sports all the time. But this summer, I have a chance to go to Wisconsin and actually be with them, and being with them will always be better than texting them or talking to them on the phone. And, and you know this as well as I do, the furious and often angry and degrading debates we have via text or online would never happen in person. The things we write in an email or a text or an online post would never be said in person because being with another human being cultivates accountability and grace. Seeing the other, looking into the other's eyes, being with them humanizes the other and reminds us, my goodness, they have a soul. They're an eternal being. They will live forever. So presence matters. Being with others matters. Showing up matters. Presence matters more than words, more than texts more than Facebook posts. Incarnate trumps excarnate. Infleshing trumps defleshing. Where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. He is there in their midst. And while he can certainly be in the midst of a virtual gathering, it's not the same as a real gathering. Soon after COVID started, My daughter who lives in Portland, a few of us who live here in Folsom, my brother and sister-in-law who live in Milwaukee, my nephew and his wife who live in Milwaukee, and my niece who lives in Denver, and my parents who live in Phoenix convened on Zoom. And it was good. It was fun. It was a measure of connection. But last August, all of us met at a house in Arizona and spent eight days together under the same roof And you know what happens when different people gather together under the same roof. All sorts of glory happens and all sorts of gory happens. But being present with each other was infinitely better than Zooming and texting and emailing and Facebooking. Being together was better than virtually being together. Presence matters. Your presence 
with the people in your life. Your actual face-to-face presence matters. Your presence especially matters face-to-face with people who are unlike you. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So I ask you, was the incarnation just a means God employed to fulfill his redemptive plan, or was the incarnation essential to God's redemptive plan? Is the incarnation an enduring example of how God's people are to be in this world? As loud as I can say it, yes, it is. Coming to and being with and flesh on flesh is an essential part of how life with God and with others is intended to be in God's kingdom. And something powerful from God happens when we come together in his name and in his presence and for his purpose and really coming together is better than virtually coming together. Something happens when we do that. Now, I have purposely tried to expand the scope of today's topic beyond the parochial and provincial focus of coming to church services. Notice I've not stressed that, nor do I want to stress that, because what we're talking about is way bigger than that. We're talking about the necessity of a social context so the body of Christ can demonstrate the alternative way of the kingdom. Our witness as the people of God in this world requires an incarnated social context. Being with others. Gathering with others. Coming to the Lord's table with others. Worshiping God with others. Praying with others. Showing up flesh on flesh. And let me emphasize it one more time. All those things, especially with others who are not like us. So these prayer pods you heard about a moment ago, these are one more way for us to step toward one another. Three or four people, don't know who it's going to be, praying in person, praying virtually, and praying specifically about Who is in your life that is outside of relationship with God that you interact with on a regular basis? Give me a name. And then for six weeks, we pray for that person and for your interaction with that person. I absolutely love this. You go, well, I'm not much into group prayer. I get it. It's a little nerve-wracking to not be into group prayer and then to get in a group with people I don't know and pray. I get it. We're trying to live just a tad bit out on the edge. Gamble a little bit. Put your phone in the basket. We're going to be without it for all of 70 minutes. The kingdom is real and Jesus went to the cross. We'll survive. Step into one of these prayer pods. Be with other people. Take the gamble. Why? Because I say so, no. Why? Because you feel guilty? Absolutely not. If you feel guilty, don't do it. But why? Because when we step into those spaces 
and social settings in the power of Jesus for the sake of Jesus, intending to encounter Jesus, he has a millennial-long habit of showing up and doing surprising things. So I encourage you to sign up. Last thing, I've mentioned this throughout, but it just bears repeating. Presence with those who are different than we are humanizes them. And screens dehumanize them. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jews and Gentiles did not like each other and thought the other was off the track. The gospel reconciled this divide. I'd like you to think right now, whatever category you want, where there is this group and there is this group and this group thinks this group is off the track. And let me proclaim the gospel into that divide and tell you that the power of the gospel pulls this group and this group into Christ and the two become one. That's down to the ground power of the Christian gospel. Jews and Gentiles did not like each other and they thought the other was off the track And the gospel came and reconciled this divide. See, the anonymity and the hiddenness that come from relating to others through a screen entices us, tempts us to write things we would never say face to face. We develop screen courage or screen muscles. Oh, I'm really going to go after this person or this group because I'm not actually with this person or this group. I'm behind this screen known by some name that no one can actually attach to me. Generally speaking, I ask you rhetorically, in the virtual world, generally speaking, do the two groups typically become one or do the two groups dig in deeper? In the virtual world, Generally speaking, do the dividing walls of hostility rise or fall? In the virtual world, does peace and reconciliation advance or retreat? Well, it is good for us today to be coming to the communion table, perhaps to redeem your experience over the last 30 minutes. Or just because... It's good for us to come to the table and remember that our faith is flesh and blood. Our faith is incarnate. Jesus came to us, lived among us, dwelt among us, invites us to him. Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, black, white, young, old, political, Democrat, Republican, rich, poor. He invites us to the table to remember who he is and what he's about. He himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death 
their hostility. You realize that we, as one local church, are part of this ongoing divine project? You realize that? We are part of this thing that Jesus has been up to for a long, long time. 